But I do want to share, you've all, you've both heard the story before, but I feel like now is the time to share the story on the podcast mm-hmm. about something that happened with me and my friend Morgan in high school. You know, you know friend, Morgan, friend of the, po- friend of the podcast, two-time <laughs> guest. Two-time mm-hmm. guest. He's in the two-timers club. Mm-hmm. Uh, in high school, you got to understand about Morgan is he was a bit of an agitator. Bit of, an asshole. Bit of a, he was a bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> he, was, he was a rabble rouser. Um, he, he liked to get a rise out of people. I would have punched him. But he, he, he think, the thing you need to understand for the story is he was not like a... He's not like a, like a mean, cruel person. He, he liked to, you know, push people's buttons a little bit, but he never actually wanted to... Hurt anyone. Hurt anyone or, like, ruin anything for anybody, like, with any real maliciousness. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Because in the summer of 2005, cast your mind back then. I'm sure we all remember it well. I mean, I uh, was reading this book. Feel Good, Inc. was all over the radio. I think. Uh, you weren't reading this book yet, because the story I'm telling you takes place at a Barnes & Noble midnight release party. <laughs> For Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> we were there with friends, having a good time. I, as you know, had jumped ship by laughs. this point, so I had no you know, connection to the actual material. It was me and Morgan and Kate were there with other people. And we were just hanging out. You know, Midnight rolls around. We get the book. Um, I should also mention, this is like... I think this is the first book where like leaks were a big thing. Like, there, like I think... Well, book seven was a bigger deal for that, but like people had you know, gotten early copies, and I think there was maybe some things circulating out there in the world but even in 2005 the internet was not the same place it is now so the point is we didn't know anything about the books like we did we were we were going in just completely blind which is why as we were leaving morgan decided he wanted to uh shout something <laughs> and the, the thing he said was what in his mind was an outlandish comically fake spoiler and the thing he shouted was dumbledore dies dumbledore dies <laughs> Dumbledore dies, his voice filling the entire Barnes and Noble <laughs> on Haynes Mall Boulevard in Winston Salem, North Carolina, as we as we as we carried out into the night to chase that flighty temptress adventure. adventure. <laughs> I asked Morgan how he felt when he realized the truth of what he had done, and he said, mm, "It's tough to remember exactly. I know I felt kind of bad, <laughs> but also, it's still funny." <laughs> Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like and to read all the Harry Potter books. <laughs> I am Jason Edwards. We're almost done, Jason. <laughs> we're, so cl- we're so close. I'm Kelsey Goldman. With us is friend of the podcast and a member of the Two Timers Club, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I am good. How are you guys? Good. Thanks for coming back. Of course. Back on the air to discuss Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. A book. A book. Which you are. A novel by J.K. Rolling. Prime to discuss. Stephanie reads a lot of books. <laughs> I'm trying to redeem myself with one you actually like, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in luck, because we both like this book a lot. Yes, this book, I think, is, is maybe one of the most uh, controversial books. Or not controversial in the way book five is, but... I want to say divisive amongst our friend group, at least. Divisive, yes. I know, uh-huh. personally, many people who both love and hate this book mm-hmm. in the extreme. 
I am pro. I like it. As far as like the the books go, what is your like? What would you say it's like your least favorite, and what's your favorite? I mean, I really like three. Solid choice. I really like this one. I read it very quickly after reading five, <laughs> rereading five. Um, I've read them all a couple of times before, but I don't like five very much. And like going straight from five to six, maybe maybe like six more. I, w- I want to like stop and point this out because this is really impressive. You read book in, in preparation for this episode. You read book five and book six in the same day. I did. Which uh, book five? Uh, that's no joke. No. That book is as we labored last time, nine hundred pages long. Stephanie does read upwards of two hundred books a year, though. So. Yes. <laughs> Stephanie's, Stephanie's reading abilities are far beyond my own. It's a bit out of hand, but it it, it was a bit long <laughs> even for me. Yeah. I did have to take a short nap break <laughs> uh, midway through five. But I did it. What are your feelings on four? I don't mind four. Yeah, we're harvesting data on four. I feel like we're like the only two people who don't. That four is the worst book. Yeah, I I liked it more this time. I think maybe I the ending has always been hard for me because it's like so upsetting in a way. Like there's a lot of bad shit that goes down. Oh, because because a a kid dies. A kid dies. What's weird is in this book, kids are dying off screen. Like, like I said, like a, like a, like a five-year-old <laughs> or nine-year-old dies, and it's yeah. like nothing. Like, it's like one paragraph. Yeah. But back then, a teen dying was pretty, yeah. pretty shocking. So, Stephanie, mm. um, we, have, we have established that you're an avid reader. Mm-hmm. But what is your um, relationship to Harry Potter? What was your fandom experience like? Did you, you know, read them when they first came out? Did you come to them later? How involved in fandom were you? Are you? Um, so I forget exactly how I started reading them. I think there's a chance that one of my teachers in elementary school read, like, the first one to us. Um, mm. I know my brother had a teacher that read the first one to him. Very progressive. Yeah. And it was, it was like, slightly, like, fifth or, fourth or fifth grade, I think, maybe. That was in California, right? That was in California. Yeah, okay. Um, I was like, I feel like they wouldn't do that in public school in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is questionable. That was sort of, yeah, that was what I was, what I was wondering that, too. But I, I think I really got into them, I think, when the first three were already out. And it was before the fourth one was out, and I just kept rereading them. And I got, I read through them about seven times each. And at this point, <laughs> my mom will deny this whole story. <laughs> but she kind of was like, I think you should take a break. And like, I don't think you should read this again right now. And she's... Not very religious, like, we went to church growing up, but she's not very religious, but she was like, I don't know, like, it is, like, witchcraft, and, like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, but she was like, I just, I think she, like, took them away and was like, you need to take a break. Because <laughs> I was just, I would have kept going. <laughs> over and over again. She will deny that whole story. And she didn't read it till much later, and then loved it all. And I was like, mother. <laughs> you took this away from me. Yeah. And. Um, but and. then, so I read the other ones as they came out. I believe I only went to a midnight release party for the seventh one um, when I was actually here in New York City doing a summer dance program. Oh. I was living in like a really weird dorm situation with like three girls who were like much older than me. It was super weird. Yeah, our, our RAs. <laughs> yeah. The RAs in my building were both were both fans and they tried to like get a like an actual like recognized outing <laughs> and the the powers that be wouldn't let them it was very sad <laughs> um but i definitely did like a number of rereads of the whole series always in order i know some people have their specific orders but i'm a in order person 
I went to see the movies with a lot of friends a lot of the time. Um, I have a friend whose birthday is December 1st. And so the movies were always coming out around her birthday. Mm-hmm. So like all through middle school, it was like every birthday party. <laughs> we would go see the <laughs> new Harry, Harry Potter, Potter movie. It was great. And I definitely had a lot of friends who were into it. I didn't really know much about like fandom, especially on the internet. Like I never got into fan fiction, didn't really know about it. Um, but yeah, always a big fan. I want to say before we get into the plot summary, um, I enjoyed this book. Sometimes I feel like when we talk about these books, I, I don't really get my opinion out there, which is, you know, kind of weird because I'm like a star or whatever. It's kind of the point. Yeah, it's kind of the point um, of this series, Kelsey, not of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's your, we are meant to be ruining your life. Me, me, as Lil Wayne said, it's all about me. I like this book. I like that it, in ways I think we would discuss, sort of harkens back to the second book. Is very deeply connected to that book in some interesting ways, and book two, as as we all know, is a personal favorite of mine. That I, I see why people maybe don't love this book so much. I, I see people often call this the filler book if they don't like it, and, I, and I, that's not, you know, that's not totally wrong. I think it's more that it's a. I, I feel like, and I have not read the seventh book yet, obviously, but it is a setup for the seventh book. There's a lot of groundwork being laid. That's up a lot of things. This would definitely be in a TV uh, uh, season. This would be the episode before the like the final episode or like the climactic episode. Like this is the one where like things are getting set up and like pieces are being moved around on the board to yeah. set and play the final conflicts and action. But if it's Harry Potter, it's actually the third to last episode because the first half of the seventh book is like boring as fuck. <laughs> I like the se- the seventh book, but it's a lot of camping. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, people love camping. <laughs> a lot of camping and no Quidditch. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, okay, so I've just sort of gotten that out there. We'll get I more also want to say that this is probably one of my favorite books in the series. If not the favorite? If not the favorite, yeah. Because I always said that my favorite was three, but like upon rereading three for like this with the critical eye as we have been reading mm-hmm. during the series, which has been really interesting for me um, and kind of changed and inf- changed and formed a lot of opinions, which has been really fun. I think this, this book was one of my favorites when I uh, first read it and it um, continues to be one of my favorites now upon rereading it. Okay. In the style of our previous guest, David, I'm, I have c- composed several very brief summaries of all, each of the 30 chapters of this book, which I will now read. <laughs> in in order. <laughs> with no interruptions. Okay. With, with no with no interruptions. Cer- yes, certainly. Yeah, we're gonna interrupt him. I know. It was funnier that okay. way. <laughs> Chapter one. Hugh Grant's character from Love Actually meets the new minister of magic. Yeah. That's Chap- always how I pictured it in my head. <laughs> and I was really upset that it wasn't in the movie. Because <laughs> uh. I really wish it had been. <laughs> Chapter two. Snape has a house? It was a question you brought up in one of the earlier, where teachers live. Confirmed. Snape has a house. Snape has a house. (laughs) Chapter three. The Dursleys have a drinking problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Getting hit in the head Mm -hmm. with drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter four. Harry meets Slughorn and exposes a false flag operation. (laughs) Chapter five. (laughs) The kids get their SAT scores and it's just as exciting as it sounds. (laughs) Chapter six. Harry spies on Draco and learns nothing. Chapter 7. Harry spies on Draco and gets curb stomped. <laughs> Chapter 8, which is titled Snape Victorious, in which Snape is victorious. <laughs> Chapter 9. Harry finds another helpful book, but it's going to be different this time for sure. 
For sure. For, for sure. sure. For sure. <laughs> Things are going to be so different. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Not going to be like last time. <laughs> this book's going to treat me right. Uh, chapter 10, Dumbledore and Harry are watching an especially sad episode of Shameless. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 11, Hermione sabotages Quidditch try tryouts to get Ron on the team. I mean, yeah, accurate. I can yeah. summary of that one. <laughs> no, just, just, just facts. Just facts. Fact, these are all facts. All facts. Chapter 12, Mundungus is going to hype Harry up and make him catch a body like that. That's when Harry catches Mundungus trying to sell serious oh, stuff. Right, right, and like right. throws him up against the wall and he's got his wand like <laughs> at his throat like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Right. Uh, that's great. That's a chapter <laughs> with Katie Bell and the necklace, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But I was much more excited about Harry like about to murder a dude. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I get that. I get that. Chapter 13, Dumbledore remembers the time he met Damien from the Omen movies. Chapter 14, Teenage drama abounds, but Harry's just got to get that snitch. Chapter 15, Slughorn hosts the best party ever. <laughs> I just want to stop and say that that's an awesome party. Everyone's getting drunk on mead. There's a real vampire there. The weird sisters are playing. Uh, Ron... <laughs> Ron makes out with a girl. Hermione tries to kill Ron with a bunch of magic baths or something. It's a, it's a fantastic party. Oh, well, Ron's not at the party. Still, though, Harry meets a real-life vampire. Harry meets a real-life vampire. The weird sister playing. Which is, Everyone's is, drunk on me. Everyone is drunk. Draco gate crashes. <laughs> <laughs> What's, I, think, I think also Harry meeting a real vampire is kind of raises uh, questions that the book is not prepared to answer. <laughs> About the fact that there are vampires? There are, we, we mentioned that there are vampires before, but we've never seen one. So yeah. it's like, but seeing one in real life, not in real life, Harry meeting a real vampire. Within the world. Yeah. Raises some, some questions. Yeah, they I, do that gloss over it. And then Harry is like, uh, I don't care about this. I gotta see. I gotta see what Draco's up to. What's he doing? What's he doing in there? Chapter sixteen. Harry tells the Minister of Magic to go fuck himself again. That was great. Uh, chapter seventeen. Wizard mind control is important again. Sure. Briefly. Chapter eighteen. Harry turns on find my friends from Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the, the nine, chapter 19 and this one really didn't pay off the way I kind of expected it to, but my summary was Harry has a really awful idea because that's the chapter where Harry enlists Dobby and Creature to, to, to tail Malfoy yeah. for the rest of the, of the book. And it, in this book at least, it does not, nothing really comes of it. No. He learns a few. He learns, he learns that he's in the room of requirement. He, yeah, he learns he's in the room of requirement, but things, you know, I sort of expected things to go much worse for those two elves. Yeah, me Although too. it does say that Dobby knocks out half of Creature's teeth. When they're fighting at one point, which <laughs> is savage. Savage Dobby. Dobby you know, Dobby's a he savage. Kept his teeth. <laughs> How many teeth do they actually have? I don't know, but he's like old and like doesn't seem to take much care of anything. Well, Dobby whooped that ass. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Chapter 20 Dumbledore isn't mad, just disappointed. No. <laughs> Chapter 21 Harry dicks around outside the room of requirement. Chapter 22 Harry snorts a bunch of Adderall and gets his teachers drunk. <laughs> Oh, it's so good, though. It's great. It's so good. It's great. He's so casting good. spells to refill wine. He's, he's pulling a, a real Jesus. <laughs> he's making wine where there wasn't wine. Oh, no. Also glossed over. <laughs> Harry's Christ-like abilities. <laughs> um, chapter 23, Dumbledore explains the themes of the book. <laughs> chapter 24, Harry is shocked to find that the written word has betrayed him once again. <laughs> Chapter 25, Trelawney is a high-functioning alcoholic. It's true. Uh, chapter 26, which is the cave. Chug, chug, <laughs> chug, chug. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> chapter... That's sad. 
<laughs> Chapter 27, Snape Kills Dumbledore. Chapter 28, hey, when you get your copy of the new Harry Potter book, make sure you open it up to page 606. There's something really cool at the bottom of that page, I promise. You gotta look at it. <laughs> no one else was online in 2005, I guess? No. Okay. I assume there's a spoiler there. Well, that's the page where, where Harry says the now infamous line, Snape killed Dumbledore. <laughs> and it's right at the bottom of the page, too. So yeah. if you're looking for the page number, you see it right away. Well, yeah, it's like... Um, so people the, would, like, book? put them to that page and then they would see it immediately. In the fifth book? I kind of do remember that. Harry's yelling about how Sirius is dead or not dead. Harry thinks he's not dead at the beginning of a chapter. Oh, yeah. And I always used to go through and look at all the chapter art oh, at the no. beginning. So I got spoiled for that whole book. It was really sad. Congratulations. <laughs> you played yourself. Played myself. <laughs> chapter 29. Everyone talks about how Snape killed Dumbledore. And chapter 30. Harry attends a surprisingly realistic funeral. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any questions to be asked after that summary. I think no, I nailed I think all the that, major I, plot points. I think you did. All the pertinent character arcs and mm -hmm. incidents mm -hmm. and events. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that jump out at me are, I think, um, as we sort of alluded to earlier, the sort of like bookending or inner parentheses ing of this book and the second book and the sort of crossing themes and, and uh, characters that happen. And I think that's really interesting. Well, I think there's something really interesting that J.K. Rowling does in that, like, generally the main villain of the books is Voldemort, right? But mm -hmm. the the form in which Voldemort comes in or the, the major threat changes so much, like, throughout the book. So it, it you know, while he is fighting the same thing, at the end of every book, it doesn't feel so repetitive. I think there are times that it does, but um, I think, you know, the fact that in the um, second book and in this book, the main sort of villain is more Tom Riddle than it is Voldemort. Like we're, you know, we're learning about that person and 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 sort of defining that that is kind of a different person than mm -hmm. what Voldemort is now. And I think that's really interesting. We kind of start out, like, <laughs> in a way, like, a lot of what Voldemort is doing is off screen in a way. Like, mm -hmm. we started at the beginning with the with Cornelius Fudge talking to the Muggle Prime Minister yeah. saying, oh, yeah, all these terrible things that are happening. That's this guy. He's back. <laughs> it is a lot of finding out his origin story in a way. Mm -hmm. It's not fighting him directly. It's these indirect ways of learning about the Horcruxes and figuring out ways that he can be fought in a way. I, I really love that opening chapter of this book. It's one of my favorites. And as I said, I always picture Hugh Grant, Prime Minister from Love Actually, as that Prime Minister, because <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, he'd do a good job um, and it would react like that. Um, I like that um, chapter a lot because I like it sort of acknowledging that the wizarding world, the stuff that's happening in the wizarding world is now big enough and large enough and scary enough that it's not happening in this vacuum of the wizarding mm. world, that it's affecting you know, the muggle world. Um, the way he says when he first became prime minister and he first met Fudge, he was like, hey, just letting you know we exist. You but probably like, won't ever see me again. You probably won't ever see me. <laughs> and then he comes back and he comes back and he comes back and he's like, I know this is something bad. Yeah. And he's like, all these bad things are happening that aren't my fault. <laughs> and I have to deal with the backlash. Because <laughs> no one will believe me. This book is sort of full of um, stuff like like what happens in what is described in the opening chapter, 
where they like the Death Eaters like attack a bridge somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And they're doing stuff all throughout the city that has to be covered up. And throughout the whole book, like even as the characters are at Hogwarts, you hear about stuff that's happening throughout the in the rest of the world, and it's even a running joke with Ron, like anybody Hermione. We know dead? Yeah, anybody we know die as Hermione like scans through her copy of the Daily Prophet, and occasionally, yes, it's well until the very end when Dumbledore dies. It's never someone that like we really know that much about. There's a few like sort of more recognizable characters who you get caught up in the intrigue happening around the the whole hunt for Voldemort, including member beast Stan Shunpike. Shunpike. Mm-hmm. Shunpike. Stan Shunpike. Mm-hmm. Um, gets it falsely imprisoned, which Harry is not down with whatsoever. But mostly we just sort of like are aware that, and this is, he's, Rowling is very good at doing this throughout the books, is making sure we know that there's other stuff going on outside of what we're seeing. And it's all, you know, we don't, we get enough of it to be curious about how it's actually playing out. And we're always like, we, as we've talked about before, we're always, we're hungry for more. We want more. We give us more content. We want to know what's going on, but we can't know. And the idea that like um, Hogwarts is like the safest place they could be, like I think that is you know, it, like they say it, but it I think it actually shows in this book. I really like how, you know, we spent all of last book with the Wizarding World powers that be denying that anything was happening. And now, you know, it's been acknowledged. I like that we automatically see that the status quo shift and we see we see what the Wizarding World looks like at war and sort of the new, I don't want to say popularity, but like recognition that, that Harry has and that even, you know, the five others that were at the Department of Mysteries have. I think you could say popularity. Yeah, he's I mean, like, yeah, he's like, he like is People, popular. like, show up for his first um, Quidditch tryout that he's hosting. Yeah. Like, just to see him. And, like, girls are always, like, trying to get at him. Trying to get at him. Because not only is he, like, he's a, he's a cutie. He's very powerful. <laughs> he, um, he defeated Voldemort He defeated once. Voldemort. <laughs> uh, people no longer think he murdered Cedric. So that's so great. That's, that's, that's got to be doing great for him. Yeah. Doing wonders for his popularity. And he's even like he's even part of this ongoing like struggle within the higher ups of the Wizarding World, who we don't see quite as much of as we did in the last book. This book's a lot more focused. It's only I mean it's two hundred pages shorter, which is significant, mm-hmm. but we, it, we're a lot more focused on what's going on at Hogwarts. Even though we, for the first time, have two. Yeah, this is the first time we have two non-Harry chapters, mm-hmm. and they happen at the very beginning. We see one chapter about the um, the minister, then one chapter about Snake's house. Snake. Snake. <laughs> Snape's house. Snape, yeah. Um, but uh, I forgot my point. Oh no! When the new when the new minister of magic tries to get Harry like to act as like a symbol of this mm-hmm. fight against Voldemort and try to you know up morale by you know sort of very falsely pretending that the ministry is doing a good job is very interesting and sort of like kind of condenses the entire um, point of the Hunger Games books into one chapter, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is always fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't hate those books, by the way, but they are they don't. They don't stand up well in comparison to Harry Potter. No. Well, it's interesting that immediately when the new um, Minister of Magic is installed, there's the news that Dumbledore and he had a disagreement and no one knows what it is. And then finally, when at Christmas, he meets the new Prime Minister or Minister of Magic. He goes, oh, Dumbledore wouldn't let you meet me. That's why. I get it. I think I've always had a little bit of like, with Dumbledore but like rereading has really given me like he's not great (laughs) like I I like Harry's trust towards him and he's really like you know the only authority figure 
that's consistent in Harry's life mm-hmm. because, you know, people keep dying or leaving or what have you. And I think he kind of admits that in this book that he's, or maybe at the end of the last book, I forget which, mm. that he's so caught up in, like, protecting Harry from from this that he hasn't given Harry a chance to, like, make any decisions on his own. Yeah, when Dumbledore has that big moment at the end of book five where he sort of sits Harry down, I was like, hey, listen, here's why I didn't give you the full story until now. It is, you know, it is a, like, clearly, like, you know, J.K. Rowling, like, trying to justify the things that happened in the early books when she didn't really have a plan and she was just sort of mm-hmm. making up as she went along, obviously. <laughs> but it also, it kind of, he kind of lays out a pretty good, like, reasoning. Mm-hmm. And he, he admits that he was wrong to do it, but he was, mm-hmm. it's based in, like, you, you, you get it. Yeah. And this, in this book, it's, you know, subsequently there's a lot more. There's still plenty of fucking Dumbledore, like, hmm, I can't tell you that yet, Harry. It's too good of a story, and I want to save it for later. <laughs> um, why is my hand all burnt up? I don't, I can't tell you now. Uh, but he's like, you know, we, this is like the most Dumbledore-heavy book in the whole series. Mm-hmm. And so we get a lot more of Dumbledore actually, like, talking to Harry and being still that weird, elusive, like, distant sort of figure he is, because he sort of sometimes kind of has to be because of what his role is in the world. But he is a lot more direct with Harry about, like, I need you to do this because it's important that we get this. And I need you to, you know, don't, don't, don't fuck this up, Harry. Don't fuck it up. Like he's, he's, like, he's, like, honest with him for the first time about what the stakes are mm-hmm. and what they're, like, you know, they're, they're, sort of, they're working together as a team in this book. And it's yeah. interesting to see that sort of, you know, shift in their dynamic. And, you know, going from book five where Dumbledore's like, you have to take this thing with Snape for... <laughs> some reason that i'm not going to tell you and Ugh. like th- i think like when dumbledore is like i want you to take these l- l- occupancy lessons with snape i think that really like hurts me because like i feel like if harry had known the stakes mm. like he would have taken it a lot more seriously but you know he didn't so i really appreciate this book that we are re-solidifying dumbledore as a a flawed character and a character that has made mistakes and is trying to fix them um which i think sets up well for the next book and how, you know, Dumbledore spent a lot of his life trying to make up for stuff he did when he was younger. And in general, like, just trying to be, like, a force of good in the world, I guess. I like this book a lot. And I, I am actually, I know a lot of people have issues with, like, the flashback kind of. Really? Aspect of this book. I think, I think so. Wow. I, I feel like that would be a. Seems fine to me. I think that would be a, compl- if I didn't like this book, I can see how that would be a complaint. Because it's like, you know kind of halting but i really enjoy it and i i like seeing voldemort before voldemort and seeing kind of how the wizarding world has and hasn't changed it is interesting to me that the only way you can enter like the memories in the pensive is like face first <laughs> like like you can't be like oh i'll just dip a finger in or like touch it with my wand like you gotta go in with the whole face <laughs> bobbin for apple style you, you can't have ass you gotta dive into that you gotta dive into that pensive dive into memories Ooh. a new album by enya um i i love the the mini like the novella about about tom riddle that's like embedded in this book i think it's and great and kelsey you mentioned this in the notes that it's really cool the way like we know dumbledore is sort of working to get these memories like this isn't just something that he like has available at all like throughout his whole life and it's like now you can see the whole story he's like still throughout the book like he's got some of them already but we like we can see he's like going away like to get more of them (laughs) To like yeah. it's help filling these gaps so we're still 
he's he's like still learning stuff alongside us in a way. Yeah, I think that's what I, what I really like about this book is that you know we the shift from Dumbledore being this like enigmatic enigmatic you know no all knowing person to like oh no Dumbledore had to go out and talk to people and ask them for like and you know he had to do something to do this and there's there's and his hands all fucked up. Well, we don't see it like there is action happening as far to procure this backstory basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I, I appreciate that he has to work and that Harry has to work and he's sort of wor- working with Harry. And I think that's really, really great. I like about the, the, the Tom Riddle flashbacks is that, well, it's, first of all, it's just sort of an interesting story to see how he, this character like came to be. Like, again, the same way Dumbledore's mystique is sort of lessened in this book. We like seeing how Voldemort came to be makes him feel like a much more real character. It's very interesting to see how his sort of pathology like evolves and like even his face gets all weird and different as he's like doing the Horcruxes, um, but I think it's most interesting in that it sort of is laying out the differences between Harry and Voldemort, and not only like why Voldemort is. This is when Dumbledore basically explains the themes of the book towards the end of when they've like fully caught up on the whole all the memories. Dumbledore explains that Voldemort is like first of all he created his own worst enemy because he believed the prophecy, and we've like now fully come. Almost, maybe not quite yet, but we've almost fully come around on the whole deconstruction of the Chosen One narrative that we've talked about before. Because, like, Dumbledore was explicit, like, it could have been, you know, well, it didn't have to be you. It could have been, I guess, Neville, technically. Yeah. But basically, like, you're only, this, only you're only in, this, in this position because Voldemort was crazy and paranoid. And he set this whole thing into, into, into events, into this whole chain of events into motion. And you have a, you have a choice in what you're doing, but because of what he did, you have every reason to want to make that choice to fight Voldemort. And we're also seeing that Voldemort is driven by um, fear of death primarily, which is a, I think, an interesting motivation. I mean, lust for power, I guess, obviously, but one of the biggest things is he just doesn't want to die. Like, he just can't face that, which maybe comes into play in the next book in terms of contrast between him and Harry. I quote, I don't know. <laughs> um, but also we see that Voldemort is driven by you know not having friends and sort of like closing himself off from social interactions and like being like having these experiences in his life and he had a Voldemort had like a really awful like life like the chapter about his family's like history like before he's he's born is really depressing like it's a very bad situation that um uh, his mom is in like I, I mean she does like drug and you know ki- <laughs> essentially kidnap her uh, her husband yeah. to uh, you know force him to marry her, which is bad. I think we can all agree that's <laughs> we bad. Agree that's bad. Yes. Bad move on her part. Bad move. But you see why she does it, and I think in the end there's a very thing. There's a thing I've actually found really moving in that chapter where Dumbledore lays out the themes of the book, where he says like, like he's like Harry, your power is that you can still love, unlike Voldemort, who you know shut himself off from that possibility. And Harry's like, whatever, man, I don't care about that's stupid. That's that's lame, like any teenager probably would. Yeah. And like, you know, you might, someone might think upon reading this book if they were a certain age. But Dumbledore's like, Harry, you're not really old enough yet to get how amazing it is that you still have that goodness in you after all you've been through. Which is like, I feel like he's partially referring to the events of the books where everyone Harry knows is getting fucked up all the time. And every father figure he knows has died like immediately. <laughs> but he's also, I think, referring to, um, at least that this, this is how I took it, to Harry's like, it, like exceptionally like emotionally abusive upbringing with the Dursleys and how that's like a real part of the books that we haven't really seen acknowledged too deeply to this point 
But if you sort of like, and it's sort of underneath the surface, but I think if you take that as an acknowledgement of that, it really is kind of a, it is very, it, is like, it does sort of like make a case for Harry as like an exceptional heroic person that he went through all this, you know, awful, terrible garbage and turned out and like is still, you know, is a pretty cool dude. Well, and like the parallel between Tom Riddle and Harry's upbringing, that they were both orphaned at a young age and both raised in environments that were not ideal, um, and and how they both reacted to that and Harry's capacity to, as cheesy as it sounds, like see the good in people. Except Snape. Except for Snape. Like <laughs> um, well, he doesn't give him reason. No. <laughs> I mean, like I wouldn't say that he sees the good in the Dursleys either, no. but you you know what I'm yeah. saying. The, um, there is a great moment when Dumbledore's picking him up. And he's explaining the whole, he has to come back one more time. Yeah. And he's like, I thought maybe he'd be okay. And you guys were really terrible. <laughs> but at least, at least you didn't damage him as much as the boy between you. Oh. And they're like, huh? <laughs> our, our, our dinners, we would never. But it's like. You mean Big D, the boxer? <laughs> they messed him up. Yeah. And, and to Harry's credit, you know, he doesn't see the good in the Dursleys, but he does not murder them. No. Unlike I mean, unlike Tom Riddle, who, you know, just people he hasn't even ever met. Yeah, yeah he just, he kills his uncle. And well, I he doesn't kill him, but he causes his death. Yeah, and I think that Harry, you know, given time and space, and like I think if Harry, Harry's relatives, the Dursleys, like attempted to change and make good, he would open himself up to that. Whereas I don't think a lot of people would. And I think that's you know that is what sets Harry apart from from Tom Riddle, obviously. <laughs> and um, one of the things I wanted to talk about as far as this book goes is this book is very like Slytherin heavy, and we've talked a lot about like the the nature of the houses and and the pro Gryffindor <laughs> bias of these inaccurate <laughs> of historical these inaccurate texts. Books. But you know the 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 main people that we're dealing with in this book are Tom Riddle, Draco, oh Draco, Snape, and. Slughorn. Slughorn, the best character ever. I love Slughorn <laughs> so much. Whom are all Slytherins, and I think they all are very different characters, and I think that's something to be considered a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, meeting Slughorn, because I think Slughorn is the first Slytherin that we've really met that's, like, not automatically portrayed as awful. Right. He's the first person that's not openly antagonistic towards Harry, who's, who's in Slytherin. Yeah. <laughs> He's, like, the prime example of the ambition. Yeah. And he just, like, wants to... Make up all them connections. Yeah. <laughs> he's ambitious and it's kind of off-putting in the way ambition can be. But mm-hmm. he's like, fundamentally, he's not a bad guy. No. When you, see, when you see this memory that he's been suppressing all these years and what it actually is when he told Voldemort about the Horcruxes, like, he didn't really, it's not like he, like, pushed Voldemort to become an evil, like, magic Hitler. <laughs> no. He, he just, like, you know, he got sort of, like, caught up in how much he, like, you know, wants to befriend his students in case they become great. And, like... Let something slip that he realizes like immediately he shouldn't have done. And I felt kind of bad for him. Oh no, like, yeah. I, I think you're supposed to. Yeah, he's he's a he's a, he's a you know he's in, in, this is Raptor. You see him like getting drunk with Hagrid, like singing songs and I love that scene. It's, and just, <laughs> and they're, just, they're just chatting about unicorns and talking about how great Harry's parents were. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Tom Riddle would have gotten that information from someone. Yeah. And it just shows how good of a manipulator he was. Yeah. Harry's even like, I see what he's doing right here. He's good at this. Um. He's a snake. But yeah, I think you know, seeing <laughs> seeing you know a, a Slytherin in that capacity, seeing what I think the house was maybe not meant to stand for, because Sal- Salazar Slytherin was a bitch, but like could could <laughs> stand been. for could be could have been was was really interesting. And then I think we also get sort of the flip side of that 
idea of ambition in in Draco's storyline uh, a little Draco's bit. Draco's storyline. This is my this the, is, the Draco is, Draco Malfoy humanization. This has been my, my sort of like <laughs> point of obsession throughout these entire books. Is like Draco Malfoy is like never portrayed as anything but just this evil, callow little shitty dude. Which you which is because his parents are terrible. His dad's the worst guy ever. And in this book, we find out not even that smart because he blew a piece of his boss's soul on a scheme to, I don't know, kill some kids. Stupid. Stupid. And so, so the whole and and the first and the moment in this book where you first see Draco, or not the first time, but the second time, when he's on the train and he's lying in um, that girl's lap, is that Pansy? Pansy, Pansy Parkinson, mm-hmm. and she's stroking his hair. Is was like up to that point is the most like humanization we've ever gotten from Draco, and that set off my book long Draco Malfoy humanization watch, <laughs> <laughs> which reaches its peak towards the end when Harry stumbles in on Draco in the bathroom crying. Uh, because he's afraid that Voldemort's going to kill him if he doesn't do this thing, which is to kill Dumbledore. And then which sort of plays out in the ending, too, where, like, Dumbledore Im- immediately sees that Draco's not going to kill him because he's just a kid. Mm-hmm. And I really, that was, that's uh, so satisfying to me, to see Draco be, like, get even just, like, a tiny moment of, like, he's not the most evil guy in the world. He's just a kid in a really, really bad situation. His dad's in jail. Yeah. His dad's in jail. I will say this, you know, I, I don't think that this movie is, is the best ad- adaptation of the um, of the books. No, because it's three. Three, uh, three, three, three is, is the best movie. Three is the best movie. Uh, I also have a soft spot for five as, as an adaptation, like as an adaptation of, of a book. I don't think that this is the best adaptation just because they spend more time on the romance stuff. There is so much romance. There is so much romance stuff, but they, they don't spend enough great, time it's great. on some of it, and they spend too much time on like the lavender stuff, and I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> um, but I will say that Tom Felton in this movie does an amazing job of of humanizing Draco in a way that you like really feel for him, and you really like you're like, oh no, he's just a kid in a fucked up situation. So good. Um, he's he's very very good. Just like all in black at the sink. Like I can picture it. It's <laughs> like if I close my eyes, it's all I can see. Yeah, and just like you know, I <clears throat> made it even more human than I felt like it was in the book. Sammy, how do you feel about the romance stuff in this book? Because I, sir, with one exception, I I kind of like it. Yeah, oh. no, it's enjoyable. I I just forgot how much there was. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like it a lot. Like, oh I'm, yeah. I'm I'm for. I I enjoyed this. This is like their last hurrah as like actual teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I I almost feel like that's why it's written the way it is. Like, we get one last Hogwarts year of them being like super teens, <laughs> and then yeah, she's going all in on the, on the teen stuff for this one because yeah. she knows it's all business from here on out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that makes like. Harry and Ginny's breakup at the end a little sadder, <laughs> but you didn't really buy into the Harry and Ginny stuff. So. No, I love the Ron and Hermione stuff. I've loved it ever since book four when I first read yeah. its head. That was great. And I, lo- I mean, it's kind of, you know, you, you, I feel bad for Lavender because she could sort of like, Ron's <laughs> not like mean to her, but she definitely, you know, doesn't get treated well by the text as a character. No. It's just one of those like classic like teenage like we don't talk that much but like we'll kiss or like you know, yeah like, right we're dating but it's like you don't actually talk to each other you're just making out whenever you get the chance yeah yeah um but I, but I love all the Hermione Ron stuff I love that their sort of relationship is by the end not still not cement, cemented but it's sort of blooming mm-hmm. they're like actually affectionate to each other in a way they haven't been before it feels like it's acknowledged when Hermione like helps Ron with his, his homework towards the end. He's like, oh, I love you, Hermione. <laughs> I was like, ooh, he said it. <laughs> but Harry, Ginny, I have just never, I have not still bought into. Yeah. 
I think Ron and Hermione is like literally six books worth of, of like character interaction and build up. So that actually means something. But Ginny, you know, in book five, she becomes a character, but she's still, we don't get a lot of her and Harry together. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you in that, like, I, I was someone who like shipped them from book two. So I was like, filling in all the gaps in my head so it felt like more but rereading <laughs> right. this like i'm like oh no it does it like there's some stuff there but it it definitely feels like a like a crush and not like i'm gonna be married to this person if i didn't know that they got <laughs> married and had kids it wouldn't seem that that, that might not bother me as much yeah I, I think i think that's what it is like it doesn't and i was also saying earlier that like because like harry's happy and he's in a relationship and and nothing's happening like, we don't actually get to see them in a relationship. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they are, but we don't... That isn't relevant to the plot. So, like, we don't actually get to see, like... We get, like, two scenes, maybe, of them, like, being happy and in love and shit. <laughs> I, I did, like, a bit... Because, like, I always got, like, Ginny, like, oh, like, crush on her older brother's friend. Like, and I liked that she was, like, oh, yeah, Hermione told me I should, like, try talking to other people <laughs> and, like, figure that out. And I thought that was... Re- really interesting like how she did that how she was able to like figure out more of herself but i also and i don't think i really noticed this till this rereading how like harry starts reacting to her yeah he's like this creature in my chest it was kind of weird but it was kind of cool too like i kind of liked it and i I feel like it is that thing like where he was like he was like oh she's just jenny and then he was like oh like just that switch i thought was interesting because it's not like he hasn't been he was like we were hanging out over the summer but like and i also i also like for Ginny how much she like owns the fact she's like yeah i'm gonna date people like whatever (laughs) um like with with like ron and and friend george trying to sort of like slut shame her a little bit and she just like doesn't really have it she she has a really intense argument with ron about this in like an early chapter yeah and she's just well, like, she's, no, like, this is my life and it's my business and I'll date whoever I fucking want. <laughs> I like Ginny. I wish I wish she got more attention. I wish, one, because I really think that Hermione could have benefited from a female friend. Um, like, who yeah, had... It, it was in your notes, there's one moment where she talks to another girl There's one moment where she talks to Pravati in this book. And it's a really nice moment, like, because it's clearly about, like, Ron and Lavender and them being ridiculous. Um, but, like, I was like, why don't we get like to see any more of that friendship it's like they live in they live in a dorm together like they <laughs> they talk yeah i was thinking like how that um, feels like lavender and hermione like living in the same room <laughs> and just like <laughs> hating each other oh, man. and and one for Ginny's sake because i think that would have helped you know us believe that her and harry end up married <laughs> yeah we do see that hermione and Ginny are friends yeah but again we don't really get to see them actually hanging yeah. out or anything yeah I will say I do I do enjoy the detail that in all like all of like Harry's daydream slash fantasies about Ginny, Ron is always involved. <laughs> like he's always like it's always like him and like like Harry and, and Ginny are kissing while Ron's in the background like cheering him on, saying, Yeah, I'm okay with this. Yeah. <laughs> he's just so worried. Yeah. I know, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> and then it's resolved by Ron just not caring, not caring at all, really. At all, yeah. Which is also feels very realistic. Yeah. I don't think Ron would care. I think he, like, cares when it's not Harry, but... Yeah, he's the, the, like, if it had to be anyone, yeah. Yeah, I'd pick you. There's, like, a moment, I think, in, like, book four or five, where, um, probably book five, where, where, where Ginny is with some guy, and you almost get the impression that Harry, that, like, Ron is, like, thinking, like, 
Why don't you date her, Harry? Yeah, mm, basically, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I, maybe I misinterpreted that. Well, it might that, have been for, like, the, for the Yule Ball. Yeah, for the he Yule Ball, like, he's you like, take, you take Ginny. <laughs> well, she said to Ginny, you go with Harry. Yeah. And she was like, I'm going with Neville. I already have a date. <laughs> Neville, the coolest kid in school. Hey. No, I'm just, we're, I'm, me and Sarah are watching through the movies right now. Yeah. And we've already got, we've gotten to movie three so far. And Neville is like already becoming too handsome. Yeah, they have to like they have to ugly him up. Because in the books, they they do him. Yeah, they do. Like, they give him like a weird like mouth prosthetic and yeah, like his he hair has, is all they, weird. He has fake teeth. Yeah, <laughs> just so because in the books, he has fake teeth, and I think they give him a belly too. He's still like pretty skinny, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember. Because in the, the books, he's no, just, they like, had to give Dudley a belly because that kid got really skinny. Because oh. <laughs> in the books. Neville is always like a chubby dude. He just gets more and more brave as the books yeah. go on. Except for he's not really in this book at all. Mm-hmm. Except he gets nailed in the stomach that the fight at the end. Oh, uh, he's okay. Uh, unlike Bill Weasley, who is to- gets his shit totally wrecked by the world's most evilest werewolf. Oh, he's so evil, so evil. What's great though is that Bill gets his face all cut up and scarred, and so he finally fulfills his uh, description of being the coolest Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> he's got um, a big old face scar <laughs> I've, uh, there's even a point that she even says like he looked you know, a little bit like Mad-Eye Moody yeah. which I was like nice yes. <laughs> oh, nice he's cool he's cool now uh, I forget what I was talking about uh, Neville Neville in the movies yeah oh yeah he's already like in, in movie three he's almost like he's already, already too handsome because in the, in, the, in the books he's just like this chubby kid who gets braver and braver but in the movies like as we all know the actor who plays Neville it got his like he's like really really hot. So hot, so hot. I mean, have you seen him now? He's like still really hot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're, okay. So we all, I as long him as on we Instagram. all know, as long he as we all know. He just got married. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, lucky her. <laughs> I mean, that's another romance. Um, Belle and Fleur. Oh yes. <laughs> I guess, and I gotta say to the to the point of J.K. Rowling, like the fact that there's not any women interacting in any of these books really. The moment where where Bill is all cut up and and mrs weasley is still like doesn't like flirt very much at all mm-hmm. but then flora's is like no i'm still gonna marry him you idiot and she, like, <laughs> goes, I love him. goes to tend to um, bill's wounds is like and then and all of a sudden mrs weasley's like like she, she's like on board with her now yeah that feels very real oh yeah that's such a good that moment. is so accurate thing. i think it's beautiful enough for us both <laughs> the way it's like I don't know, nothing has really changed for Floor and, and Bill, really. Yeah. But, I don't know, Mrs. Weasley just seeing that moment between them, mm-hmm. like, gives her a new insight into their relationship and how true true it is. Mm-hmm. That just feels very realistic to me. Totally. Um, and one more note on romance. There's one scene in this where where Harry and, and Luna go to a party together. And I was like, heck yes, <laughs> sign me up. I ship it. I ship it. <laughs> they I go ship as friends, it. though. Oh. Yeah, but... Oh, they make it clear. Friends, friends with benefits. As friends. As friends. And Luna's I like, I've never gone to anything with someone as friends. There's definitely... So sad. There's definitely an Poor age... Luna. Oh, God. Gets even sadder. Um, sorry. <laughs> there's definitely, like, an AU version of Harry that would, like, be really good with Luna. Like, where he's, like, just, like... He stays sort of, like, moody, weird, emo Harry. That he kind of is in book five. Like, he's less sporty, that Harry. Yes. We <laughs> talked about this a little bit, I think, off-off air with Dave last mm-hmm. last episode about sort of our alternate interpretation of Harry as he gets older, <laughs> which I will save until the next episode because there yeah. is a lot to get into that I obviously don't know yet, but also is more relevant to the end of the last book. The, but, the more realistic version of, of what yes. happens after and, and, and Luna, in my mind, figures into that on some level. But I will, I I will save that. that for later. Mm-hmm. And also, I just like I just don't like Harry and Jenny. It feels very 
I don't know. Luna's such a good character. Mm-hmm. I just love it. And her and Harry like have that like bonding moment in the fifth book. Which is obviously, obviously more of a moment in the movies than it is in the books. Yeah. And they both see the, the Vestrals. I think Luna has... Actually, Luna is like a better character in the movies in some ways. Not totally. She's... she's I think she she... People liked her so much that she got more interactions than she actually does in the books. Like, they made her uh, in the 6th and, and 7th, I think. What's weird to me is in the movies, Luna Lovegood is, like, this, like, ethereal, like, white-haired, like, you know, just traditionally, like, you know, sort of, like, angular-faced, yeah. like, attractive young woman. Whereas in the in the book, she's, like, mousy and, like, sort of disheveled. Her hair is, like, very long and messy. It's I just kind of... I always... She, I thought she looked like I imagined her. She has brown hair in the books. When she got cast, does she? Really? Yes, I I, I know I, I know that because she, she looks, looks blonde. like because when you when she's described, she looks exactly like like a very specific like archetype of like young nerdy awkward high school girl girl that I that I yeah. knew yeah, a lot of like in my life. Yeah, there's like a chapter heading drawing of her. And yeah, it, it fit more than that. More like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's all. I'm just I'm I'm pro Harry Luna. I know there's nothing going to come of it, but <laughs> I, in my in my world. I would have been two things if I'd been a fan of him. I would have been a, one of those weird people who was obsessed with Draco and with like developing <laughs> that his character. That wasn't weird. <laughs> no, sorry, not not weird, but you know, people yeah. who are really obsessed with like giving Draco a deeper characterization yeah. in whatever way they could. And two, I would, would have been a Harry Luna shipper. <laughs> I know these things about myself very, very deeply and very, very truly. Yeah, I like for me, I like just glommed on to Harry and Ginny like so early and just refused <laughs> to give it up. Um. Which was good for me because it turned out that that was what happened. But also, like, I wish it hadn't happened the way it did. Because I think, because my other thing is, like, in the, I always want the, in the seventh book. Have you started the seventh book yet? No. But, I mean, you, you've seen the movie, so you kind of know yes. what happens. You, you saw oh, yeah, you've the sixth book, like, the sixth book like, an hour an ago. Hour ago. Um, I always wanted the parallel story of the seventh book of Ginny, Luna, and Neville. Like, that trio of people. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think they would have a really interesting dynamic and they're at least a new book. <laughs> yeah. J- JK Rowling, we demand you give us more Harry Potter content. <laughs> it's gone so well thus far. Yeah, they Bring it on. I think Just they kidding. have a, a really interesting dynamic and they, um, are kind of shown as, you know, the leaders at, you know, they, they kind of take up Harry Ron Hermione's places at Hogwarts, which I think is interesting and. I would have liked to have seen it happen. It's also a very fan fiction-y concept. It is. I'm sure someone's written it. Oh, for sure. But I haven't read Harry Potter fan fiction in a long time. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, like, it, it's an idea that could have been conceived of before the seventh book. Oh, yeah. Like, there's some, like, weird spell where Harry, or Hermione, and Ron are, like, banished from the castle, and all of a sudden oh, those where, three where, are the No, main... it's just, it's the alternate t- universe where Neville is the chosen one. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. We didn't really talk much about Snape. Snape. Well, half blood Prince. I do feel like there's a more coming on that topic. So yeah. much more. I think we're going to yeah. really have it out next episode. About Snape. There's just a lot to talk about next episode. I know. But he is the Half-Blood Prince, we find out. He's the one who put all the notes in the potions book that yeah. Harry's been using. Mm-hmm. Which is another fun parallel to the second book. Mm-hmm. Because Harry, once again, like has the book that he doesn't know belongs to a person he hates <laughs> and is like, like really like gets into it and uses it throughout the entire storyline. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of as, as Harry points out, like it like saves Ron's life. It helps him in, I don't remember what the other ways were. I mean, he gets really good at potions. He gets really good at potions. <laughs> well, and that's how he got the Felix Felicis. Yes. Yeah. That's how he got that idea. So, yeah, like, so it really, like really, it helps him defeat Voldemort. It's true. <laughs> you really look at it. <laughs> 
But it also makes him almost commit murder. <laughs> it's true. Oh man, when he oh god, when Harry bursts in on 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 uh, crying Draco and like Draco tries to Draco tries to cruciate this yeah. person to be fair. Yeah. Then Harry fucking destroys Draco's face with sick blade moves. <laughs> and like like he's about to bleed out in the bathroom. Ugh. It's nuts. So nuts. Uh, one thing I've noticed reading these rereading these books is that once I like cemented in my head that like um Snape and, and Lupin and all of them are like in their 30s <laughs> and not like in their 40s and 50s like I always imagined them. Like it really changed how I looked at a lot of their actions. Yeah. <laughs> and also how old is Tonks? Because we find out in the end of this book that Tonks is, and Lupin have a thing and Tonks has been like badgering Lupin to marry her and he's like, you can't, I'm a werewolf and also I'm too old for you. And like, dude, you're 36. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I think I thought that he was way older because mm. it's kind of... um put out that she's like about bill or charlie's age so mm. she's like probably in her i want to say late 20s something like that like t- somewhere between 25 and 28 i want to say she's definitely like older than yeah she's definitely at least 25 yeah and like it's not that big of an age difference yeah and and i think when i was reading this book i was like oh no like i would date someone who was that much older than me now yeah. like i mean maybe i wouldn't but i don't know but like it doesn't seem as icky as i thought it was when i read it the first time because she went to hogwarts did or trainings is like three years yeah and then it took her like a year or two to pass her test or something so even if she graduated like the year before harry got there she's still at least like at least like 22 right 23 or 24 yeah depending on how old she was when she graduated it's just it's clearly just because of the werewolf thing loop and you don't need to throw in the age thing like you're not like i mean he is like he is like fairly older than her but not like a they're like maybe like sort of pseudo generationally different but not that much yeah but they can make it work and molly weasley brings up you know there's a lot of upheaval so people are like let's get together and like settle down and like have some stability yeah i think like at the end mr weasley is like I mean, just being young, you know, young dudes get fucked up too. Yeah. Look at my kid over here with the crazy face. Yeah. And, like, I think the main thing is that, like, at least I would expect Lupin feels that, like, he was, for the most part, even though I would not consider him adult now, because I know he was, like, 19, an adult when the war happened, whereas mm-hmm. Tonks was, like, a child mm. and and didn't have those experiences right. and didn't lose, like, all her friends. <laughs> like, all her friends yeah. aren't dead. Oh. <laughs> um, and I think that that sort of, like, marks him as older um but no like it, their relationship totally makes sense and i'm glad he for the most part is like okay fine <laughs> <laughs> i'll marry you <laughs> and i do like that they sort of establish that the like oh yeah well there's a war on that's why everyone's coupling up because there's a war on <laughs> hmm. well i guess unless stephanie you had anything else you want to add to the well, I do love when Ron is using his spell track quill and it changes his name to Runil Waslib. Oh, uh, which sets up this... Well, okay, we need to address this before we go. Which that sets up the second best uh, Harry Snape yes. face off in the book where, where, where Snape's like, this is your book. Yes. Says, you bought this book. Yes. yes. Then why does it say it's the property of Runald Waslib? <laughs> and Harry's like, uh, that's, that's my, my nickname. nickname. You know what my friends call me. And Snape's like, I know what a nickname is. <laughs> yeah, you half-blood prince. <laughs> oh. oh. I mean, it's not, it's, then, it's not the best Harry Snape face-off. Which is? Which is, there's no need to call me sir, professor. <laughs> oh. oh. So good. So Roasted. Good. 
Roasted. Boom. Oh, but then he gets attention. <laughs> really needs to keep his temper, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So good. That was worth it. I would say worth it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely worth the it. The sickest burn like, if ever. That happened, if that happened in like 2018, if someone would have recorded it on their phone and everyone like, would have gone, oh, viral. do it for the vine. If you had a teacher everyone hated and they said that to them, you would be like, you're a legend, man. You're a yeah. legend. A fucking legend. And you killed Voldemort? That's crazy, <laughs> crazy man. Crazy, man. Crazy. You hear what Harry did? Aside like fighting Voldemort like 10 times? <laughs> oh, you got to hear it. You got to hear it's it. great. You got to hear it. Also, the spell track quill, there's a mention of an augury. Is that important? In Cursed Child. Oh, fuck but Cursed it, Child. But it, it doesn't say anything. It just, Hermione says that's not how you spell augury. Fuck Cursed Child. Not canon. Not canon. Don't care. I don't remember the augury from Cursed Child. It's like a bird snake, right? Mm, Methinks we will discuss it at a later date. Oh, no. I'm just saying, I was like, I saw <laughs> it. I saw it and I was like, oh, that's weird. That's a, I'd never seen that before. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Anyway, shall we wrap it up? Yes. Stephanie? Do you have, any, do you have anything you want to plug, Stephanie? Any, any plugs? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Okay. Thank you for coming back on. Yay. Of course. You stepped, you stepped up to the plate, and you knocked this one out of the park. <laughs> Thank, thanks, thanks for coming. Uh, it's great to talk about Harry Potter. It's fun. It's my new pastime. I love it. It's a good time. And special thanks, as always, to Danny Abowd, of the Weeping Willards, views of their song, Outside in the Rain, from their self-titled album, available now on bandcamp.com. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Rate us, review us. Subscribe. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell a friend about our great podcast. Please do. Please do. And other than that, I will, we will, to, to play us out, we will... Say our, our classic sign-off phrase, which we all know from the podcast. These, these low these past five episodes, <laughs> which is, of course, mischief managed. A Harry Potter is a book that most of us all have read, except for Jason. Oh, you forgot to ask me. I'm a oh, Hufflepuff. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, Blin. Let's get that for real. Stephanie, what house are you in? I'm a Hufflepuff. Nice. Nice. nice.